we're looking at and considering a topic called Desperate for God, looking at different biblical examples of situations that are so desperate that God has to be the one who acts or nothing would change, and a crisis would either continue or be the result. Um, Not only desperate people like Rahab, we've looked at her, Nicodemus and his spiritual crisis, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, but also different types of situations. So we're looking at the individuals that were in crisis, but we're looking at different types of situations in crisis as well. And this morning's situation is one of intense spiritual battle, where in Mark chapter 5, the individual involved is referred to as the demon-possessed man, Legion by name, Uh, Jesus asked his name and that's what he responded. A man who lived in the tombs among those who were buried. Um, We don't even know this guy's name, Uh, but that's who who we're considering this morning. Uh, Timelines of Jesus's ministry places a couple of years into his earthly ministry during his ministry in Galilee. We're going to look at the man the situation, various responses to the situation, and then try and drive it home with an application. I'm in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read the first portion of it. Let's read through verse 13. It says this, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans, or your translation might also say Gerasenes, same place. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. You know, we hear and we say the word demon-possessed. You really don't find that term demon-possessed in the New Testament. Um, there, we do find that someone has an unclean spirit. They had an unclean spirit. Uh, but this man had an unclean spirit. Verse 3, he lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have I to do? What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, of the, came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And we'll look at the rest of that story in just a minute. But I wanted us to talk about the man, some characteristics of what we find here. And I just want to list them. He had an unclean spirit. He lived in the tombs or the catacombs or in the graves. Um, Though Luke tells us that he was originally from the city, so he wasn't there always. He found a time in his life when he was there. He demonstrated an unusual strength, inhuman strength even. The ability to take chains and break them. The ability to uh, uh, to do uh, just incredible things. Luke 8 says that he wandered naked in the tombs and on the mountains. 
Luke also says he used to be kept under guard, broke the chains and shackles, and was driven into the wilderness. So he originated in the city. They chained him often, and he would break them. They couldn't subdue him, and so he wandered into the wilderness. He lived in misery, crying out night and day. He cut himself with rocks. What would be the thought what, what would be thought of as one who had no normal social skills were completely absent for this individual. And oftentimes we think of him as the demon-possessed man, and he was, and it was a legion of demons. But I want us to recognize he was a man. He was like Wayne or Larry or Nateen or me. He was a man, a regular person even though he was completely controlled by this legion of demons. We don't know how or why he was possessed by so many many demons. Jesus does indicate that at some point he had friends and maybe lived a more normal life. We'll see that in the latter part of the story. Um, But this is how Jesus found him. Matthew chapter 8 tells the same story, as does Luke chapter 8. Matthew 8 tells us that there were two demon-possessed men. The difference could be as simple as Mark and Luke reporting on the one who dialogued with Jesus. Luke also records a story in Luke 8, 26 through 39. This demon, or even better, demons, because they were many, controlled and spoke through this man. Jesus asked, what is your name? And, they, and he said, legion, because many demons had entered him. If it's a reference to a Roman military legion, a legion was an army division around 6,000 people. Um, You might think, how in the world could 6,000 demons possess a man? Well, we think as humans in terms of time and space, this is spirit world. And there were 6,000 if it's referring to a Roman military legion, but certainly there were many. Clearly, this is a desperate situation. If Jesus doesn't do something, there is no hope for this individual. And that's, that's where we find ourselves sometimes in life. Maybe not to this intense, intensity, but if Jesus doesn't do something, there's no hope. This man had no control of himself. His living condition was horrible and frightening even. Everyone around him feared him. They had sought to restrain him to no avail many times. He wandered among the graves, crying out in misery, wandering naked and cutting himself. There seems to be a mixture or even an overlapping of who's speaking and who's acting through him. Sometimes it's the demons as they dialogue with Jesus. Sometimes possibly the man himself as he cries out in the misery that he had in the night cutting himself with rocks. We don't even know his name. We just know the situation. We only know him as the demon-possessed man. But he was a real person. Jesus saw him as a real person, a person who was troubled and desperate. And Jesus cared about this one that everyone else was afraid of, afraid to encounter. Once he's spiritually freed by Jesus, he has a real task among real people. The demons within him already knew Jesus' name as son of the Most High God. Now, how could that be? He didn't get newspapers. He didn't know what was going on in the cities nearby. But they already recognized Jesus when he got out of the boat as the son of the Most High God. This is spirit world happening here. And sometimes human logic doesn't fit there. 
This is intense spiritual battle. But don't be fooled. Just because you might not have been troubled by a legion of demons or evil, don't be fooled into thinking that all spiritual battle comes with this level of intensity. It doesn't. Satan is a master of disguises. He's fantastic at his job of deception, and he deceives to the level that's necessary. And for this guy, in this situation, um, he was indwelt by a, a legion of demons. But fear and anxiety and depression and addictions and unhealthy relationship issues and who I perceive myself to be and whether I live with guilt and whether I live with shame and on and on and on are all the result of spiritual battles. And this, guys, was unique and different and extremely intense, but ours can be just as intense, not like that, but in a different way and just as critical. And just like Jesus recognized this as a man, an individual that needed to be freed and have relationship with him, he knows us by name and he recognizes our needs as well. This story describes this man's journey of how Jesus met his desperate needs, how he gave him hope and a task to do for his Lord, the same Jesus is capable of equipping you and I, meeting our unique desperate spiritual needs also, and he wants to do that this morning. If you find yourself so troubled that it's all you think about all of the time, or even if you don't find yourself to that level of intensity of troubled, but you're troubled. That's the man. Let's look at the situation. Jesus had gotten out of the boat on the Sea of Galilee, Luke tells us, there's interaction between Jesus and the man and the demons that indwelt him and this wild, uncontrollable, demon-controlled man met with and talked with and ultimately would obey Jesus. Verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him or prostrated himself. Some translations even say worshipped him, but not in the sense of I worship you with my whole heart, giving, giving you my whole life wanting to serve you, but recognizing that he was prostrating himself before the Lord. This demon or these demons knew who Jesus was. I'm going to start calling him Legion because that's how he identifies himself. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, verse 7, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? What's interesting is the religious leaders who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards didn't recognize who Jesus was. Even Jesus' disciples had to be helped along the way to see who Jesus was. But, this, but these demons, legion, recognized he is the son of the most high God. This is spirit world. Um, they recognized Jesus for who he was. Legion presented a request to the Lord. This was his request. I, I adjure or I implore you by God, do not torment me. And then verse 10 says, he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. That's interesting all by itself. I've wondered and done a little bit of reading on demons and nations and whether they have geographical locations that they're, that they're responsible for. Luke and Matthew give us a little bit more understanding. Luke 8 says this, they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. 
And so they had had or they knew something of Jesus and his power and something that would come in the future as well. Some people think this might refer to a prison where some demons are already bound, according to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm not going to read it, verse 19 and 20, if you want to write it down. Others think this might be a reference to the bottomless pit of Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, where Satan will be bound for a thousand years. What that implies, though, is that this spirit world situation, these, these demons were aware of something, at least, of God's future plan. Don't torment us before our time. And so they were aware of something that was going on. Matthew 8 says, have you come here to torment us before our time? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24 says it's also significant in that it tells us that in the end, Jesus will destroy all dominion, authority, and power, the last of which is death. And it's like these demons recognize Jesus is going to do this, but it's not time yet. So don't, don't torment us before our time. Legion gives evidence of knowing these things. I want to quote somebody. In one sense, Satan and his cohorts or are already defeated. Jesus won the victory over them through the cross and the resurrection. Colossians 2 verse 15 speaks to that. As a believer, it's now possible to have victory over Satan every day in our lives. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. It's an issue of who am I going to choose to submit myself to. We can have victory over Satan every day of our lives. The Holy Spirit empowers God's children to say no to Satan's agenda and walk in the Spirit, living a life pleasing to God, Ephesians 5, Galatians 5. The ultimate defeat of Satan is yet to come when he'll be condemned to the lake of fire forever, unable to propagate his evil ever again. Though Satan still reigns as the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Christians can live in light of the truth that he is a defeated foe. And if you're, a, if you're a believer this morning, and I'm not going to get into the possession and, and influence, I'm not going to do that. The issue was this guy had an unclean spirit and demons and Satan have the capacity to trouble our lives. And this morning, if you're being troubled, I want you to recognize greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Am I going to give myself to this spiritual power and individual, or am I going to give myself and my focus and my submission to the Lord God Almighty? That's what the question is. Jesus' response to Legion's request was, the request was, I implore you by God, do not torment me. He begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Jesus, though, is clearly the one who's in control. And they knew that, and they recognized that. Legion knew it. Now, if only mankind in our world could recognize that, that God is the one that's in control, that he's the one who has everything together, but we seem to struggle with that. Verse 11 says this, A great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. What a unique request. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now we have a problem. There's a lot of money involved. There's 2,000 pigs that just died, and somebody's going to have to give an account. That's a lot of money, and those pigs belong to somebody. Let's look at some responses. Verse 14, let's read 14 through 20. The herdsmen fled, 
and told it in the cities and in the country. The people came to see what it was, uh, what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And he was getting in, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with, de- with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis uh, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let's look at some different responses of what happened to the man and the situation. Of those around, the herdsmen fled, they escaped, they ran. When the pigs all of a sudden jumped the cliff and 2,000 of them died, it scared them to death and they ran, telling everybody along the way what was going on. The people in the country, the people in the city, the curiosity of mankind got them so that they wanted to see what was happening. Our curiosity gets us. I mean, how many of us, if we're honest, we're driving on the highway, there's an accident. Do you slow down and just kind of look over to see if you recognize whose car it is or if there's anybody sitting on the ground? Our curiosity gets us. It got them as well. The curiosity of mankind got them so much that they went out to see what had happened. Verse 15, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind before he wandered he'd cry out he'd scream now he's sitting he's calm he's got clothes on before he was naked he's in his right mind he wasn't that before and this is what their response was it scared them to death they were afraid what has gone on there's something going on here that is inexplainable and their, rea- and their reaction and response was fear. So much so that in verse fit 17, rather, they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. What, instead, of, instead of this is fantastic, this guy that was terrorizing us before, and we were afraid of him, we tried to chain him and shackle him, but we couldn't do it. Now he's in his right mind, he's clothed, he's calm. Something happened. Would you just get out of here? Instead of being thrilled about what was going on, it, it scared them and they began to, be, to beg Jesus to leave. No one's shouting for joy because the man's been freed. Others are looking for their Messiah. These people, because of fear, wanted to send him away. We're scared, we're afraid because something significant and powerful has happened and we don't understand it, so please just get out of my presence. It makes me uncomfortable. This started out as a joke. And then I thought, you know, it's really not. What was the pig's response? They died. But there's more than that. There's 2,000 pigs who become demon-possessed. Now, I'm going to let you take that one wherever you want to take it. But all of a sudden, animals are controlled by demons as well. Unique. Let's look at the man's response. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting, out of, getting into the boat, he's getting ready to leave now, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Jesus, you changed my life completely. I was miserable. I would cut myself with rocks. I wandered naked. I cried day and night. 
in the mountains among the graves where people are buried, and you freed me. He begged Jesus, same word that the others used to beg Jesus to leave. He begged Jesus to be able to go with him. Some begged Jesus to leave. This one begged Jesus to stay with him. Please, just let me go with you. I'm finally free from this torment and darkness and pain and loneliness and isolation and lack of control and on and on and on. And Jesus' response to the man was, no. He didn't permit him to do that. Jesus told this man, no, I have something else for you to do. I have more Listen to this, American believer. I have more than your personal desire and comfort in mind. And so he had another task for him. You'd like to be with me, but I want you to do this. Jesus said to him, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Jesus' words are this man's personal great commission orders. Go to where you came from and tell people about who you were, what I did for you, and how it's changed your life. What Jesus said here makes me think this man wasn't always demon-controlled, at least to this extent, because he had what were called friends. Go to your friends and speak to them. In his naked, rock-cutting, crying out, living in the middle of graves, possessing inhuman strength, he wouldn't have had any friends. But prior to that, he could have. Jesus is saying to this man, go home to your friends, your people. Tell them what I've done for you, how much mercy I've had on you. And then we see the man's second response. And this is what it was. He obeyed his Lord. He was freed like he'd never been freed before. Wanted to just tag along with Jesus probably till he died. But Jesus didn't let him. And he went away and he began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Decapolis isn't a city, it's a region where there were 10 small cities, Deca, and he would go from city to city and tell what the Lord had done for him. Hey, you know that guy who ran around naked, screaming, cutting himself, breaking chains? That was me. But God had mercy on me. He met me in my desperation. So instead of a demon-possessed man, Jesus saw a man that needed to be freed from evil influence, real evil influence. I read this man's response, and I think about who I was and how I might do the same thing. Jesus told him to, of what Jesus told him to do. Without glorifying sin, I was self-focused with all the personal sin that resulted from it drugs and confusion and hurt to others and I think Jerry just tell people how much God has done for you that's what he wants me to do that's my story he had his story and he wants me to use my story to tell people how he had mercy on me and if you know the Lord you have your story and he doesn't want you just telling Jerry's story, even though you probably could, April 8th, you know, and Mailman's Eve, all that stuff. He doesn't want you telling Jerry's story. He wants you telling your story about how God had mercy on you. And wouldn't it be great if we could just go be in the presence of Jesus and always around believers that are wanting to glorify God? Yeah, but that's not what he wants. No, this is what I want from you. 
I freed you. Now you go back to your people. You go back to the people who knew you and knew the situation. And you let them know how much mercy God had on you. So that God, in, with the power of his Holy Spirit and the truth of the declaration of a testimony, might grab someone else's heart and draw them to himself as well. You say, Jerry, real question. Not kidding. Were you demon-influenced? This is what I know. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of Man, excuse me, the Son of God, was manifested or appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. And he destroyed the works of the devil in Jerry's heart. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a spiritual battle that goes on. It does. He destroyed the works of the devil in this man who was influenced by a legion of demons. And frankly, if you know the Lord, he destroyed the works of the devil in your life as well. When I think about the Ten Commandments, it's all spiritual. It isn't just don't worship other gods and don't make idols, and that's the spiritual part. To not honor your father and mother is just as spiritual as the first one and two. To not steal and to not lie. And so there is truth and holiness and there is lying and darkness. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil that was once the life that I walked in. And he destroyed that also in your life as a believer. So if you're troubled... And it's possible to be troubled and influenced and swayed by demonic and evil things. Recognize the truth of God's word. 1 John chapter 3 says, For this person, excuse me, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. He appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. You are not of him. You are of your heavenly Father, the Holy One. Two significant things that we learn from this man. The man was willing to listen to Jesus, not just his situation around him. He was more able to hear Jesus and his words than be concerned and absorbed with the situation around him. And then he was willing to do what Jesus told him to do, even though he would have preferred to go along with Jesus. He was willing to do what Jesus told him to do. I'd rather be with you I think I could be an asset with you. It makes me much more comfortable. No, I want you to go tell the people that you know, your people in those 10 cities, about the mercy that God has had on you as well. Let's drive it home. In Genesis chapter 6, we see demonic activity. In Daniel chapter 10, we see spirit world activity, which includes demonic activity as well. In Jesus' life, we see Jesus dealing with demons and talking about Satan. In the end of the latter days, Scripture speaks of the lawless one, the Antichrist, one who's empowered by the darkness of Satan, and it also tells us the story of the day that Satan will be bound. The question is, is there demonic activity today? Can I make it even more personal? Is there demonic activity today in Lone Jack. I'm going to stop there so it doesn't get a little more uncomfortable to bring it home here. Is it over, the demonic activity influence? 
Of course it's not over. It was in the beginning, it's going to be through the end, and everything in between as well. Now, we don't have to find a demon hanging on every light. We don't have to worry about that. But we do need to recognize what's truth and what is darkness. Israel digressed to the place in their worship of false gods that they sacrificed their children to false gods. They would burn their children to worship these false gods. Demonic activity. They didn't just not go to synagogue and worship the one true God. They sacrificed their children to false gods. Demonic activity in our world. This is spiritual, not political. Men dressed as women chanting, we're coming for your kids, is more than political. It's political, but it's more than political. A U.S. congressman from Missouri praying on the floor of Congress, a man and a woman. Some disease, not all disease, some is attributed to, mon- to demonic influence, spiritual influence in the New Testament. We can expect it today. War and greed and power and confusion. People trafficking other people as sex and labor slaves for money. Selling children as sex objects for money. I know a lady. She's probably 40 or so now. Her mother sold her as an 11 and 12-year-old so she could support her drug need. It was more than drugs. It's demonic. Rampant greed where millions and millions of dollars are stolen. But listen, it's not always that blatant. It isn't always someone influenced by a legion of demons or something that horrendous also. You know what one of the worst things about drugs is? It was fun. And then sin takes people farther than they ever intended it to take them. It's just a hook in, and the next thing you know, you're controlled by. Teenagers, one of the worst things about sex outside of God's plan, get the whole plan, is that it's enjoyable. And then you realize that you reap the consequences God said that were going to be there all along. Whenever we go contrary to God's plan, where's that first, first John 3, 8? He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. At what point in my life or in your life, at what point when we walk in sin, do we open ourselves up to more significant demonic influence? I don't have an answer. But I know that evil and darkness doesn't come from the Lord. And Jesus came and broke that power. We sang a song this morning, the chains have been broken, and they have been. So quit walking there. You have the spiritual wherewithal to not walk in darkness. You might need some accountability. Do more than just counseling, but there isn't anything wrong with that either. Just quit walking there. You might need to meditate on things that are true and holy and right and just and good. And then begin to recognize the necessity of confession. And then say of me who I am because this is what God says of me. And even if I don't feel it, walk there. 
doesn't have to have the level of intensity of the demon-possessed man. We live in a sin-infested and rapidly deteriorating world. Let me just read a couple of other scriptures and we'll finish. We read 1 John 3, who sins of the devil. It's said of Moses that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And the thing that I brought into my marriage that some my wife didn't get is there is pleasure in sin. It's just that it's fleeting. It goes away quickly. It promises something, but it, then it goes away. And the next thing you know, it has more power on you than what you intended. Peter reminds us to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour not to just treat kindly, to devour, to absolutely destroy. Resist him, firm in your faith. So the implication is, I must be firm in my faith or my lack or ability to resist is going to be weakened as well. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, after you've suffered a little while, and we do, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Satan wants to destroy. He's seeking. He's, he's, he's wandering around like a, a roaring lion wanting to destroy God's intent. And what will happen is that we be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. Can you see the incredible difference that's going on here? James, we just finished with that a couple months ago. James says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I actively, continually submit myself to God. I resist the devil actively and continually, and he will flee. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God exhorts us after explaining the believer's armor in Ephesians chapter 6. Having done all to stand, stand. Don't just stand. Do everything that you can with this armor that I've given you. And after you've done everything that you can with the armor that I've given you, then stand. I can't stand if I don't do that. And I can understand it and not stand. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I would venture to say, I can't say that. The vast majority of us don't have the intensity of spiritual battle going on that this demon-possessed man had. Jesus recognized him as an individual and freed him. There are some who have incredibly intense things going on. But Jesus recognizes them as individuals and is absolutely capable of freeing them. The two qualities that this man shows us that I think are, are, are critical to understand is he listened to Jesus and then he did what Jesus said he wanted him to do. That's really not all that complicated. He listened to Jesus. I got to know his word and what he says to me. And then I've got to be willing to bow my knee and do what it is that he wants me to do, even if I'd rather be with him. Go be obedient to my Lord. This man was desperate, and Jesus freed him. Different than Rahab, isn't it? 
completely different than Nicodemus and his desperation, different than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their desperation, but this was a desperate situation, and God met him right where he was as well. You know what I know? God will meet you in your desperation right where you are, recognize you as a person, learn to listen to him, and then be obedient to him. And it might be difficult, but it will be well with your soul that way. Let's pray to God. Father, we bow before you. Don't even know this man's name. And yet we thank you for the lessons that we can learn from him. Father, I pray for us that are here within hearing distance right now that you would give us eyes to see that you are absolutely holy and in control and have a plan and in the end it will be accomplished, but also give us eyes to see the evil and even demonic and satanic activity that's going on in our world today. Help us to not fear it the way they feared Jesus, but to view it as a child of God, one who ultimately is victorious. And Father, if there's somebody here this morning that is in an intense spiritual battle, let them learn the lesson of this man. Listen to Jesus and then do what he tells you to do. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.